right, well, I know I touched on chapter 3 last week, but we're still in chapter 2, part 2. We're going to be jumping into verse 14. So if you missed last week's sermon, it's online. Just go ahead and pick it out. I highly recommend you don't try and listen to it while we're doing this part two right now. You might want to catch it up later. But we're going to pick up right where we left off. And we see that Ruth is in the field. She has happened to hap in the King James Version. She just happened to fall into Boaz's field. We know that the Lord has supernaturally chosen her to go to this exact spot at this exact time for a purpose. And we're going to pick up with some of these themes that we've been talking about, this divine theme of our Lord Jesus Christ being our, our goel, which is used 64 times in the Old Testament. It's a word that's translated redeemer or kinsman or kinsman redeemer. And at the same time, we're going to talk about dating. We're going to talk about seeking after a marriage. We're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about what to do when you're a, a widow, the family structure, what, how do we address these things in our culture? And we're going to pick up with these themes. But first, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word that is eternal, it is perfect, it is never changing. And just as it applied so many millennia ago, Lord, it applies to us here as well, right now in our lives. We thank you that your word is alive and living that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It just goes right to our heart, Lord, and discerns our thoughts and intentions. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us and that you would guide us just as you guided Ruth and Boaz. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 14, let's read it together. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. First and foremost, let's talk about what is going on here. So they have been serving, or they've been reaping all day long in the field, bent over backwards, have their sickle, they have their knives, and they're cutting those sheaves of wheat, and they're cutting them, and they're stacking them, and they're placing them together. It is long, back-breaking work. They're sweating. They're suffering together. In this culture, men and women are completely separate. Unless you're married and in the household, they don't fellowship together. They're not in the synagogues together. They don't talk together. And yet we have this unique situation where this Moabitess from another country, from another people group, serving another God in another way, has dedicated herself to God, has followed her mother-in-law, Naomi, has lost her husband and has come to the nation of Israel, and is now in the poverty program. And that poverty program allows her to follow the reapers and glean, remember, pick those little pieces of wheat out of the dirt and collect them so that they would have something to eat. Now, as they're fellowshipping together, Boaz, we see here for the first time, we have this hint that he is really interested in this gal. He wants her close to him. Come and dip the bread and the vinegar together with me and my guys. He wants to have her very close. And we also see this vinegar 
thing. That doesn't sound too good. But this is very, very culturally applicable. And especially in the Mediterranean, very hot. They like to have the, this vinegar. It takes the edge off. They put it in the bread. They dip it in there. And some commentators point out that this vinegar is probably sour wine. And so here you have this fellowship, this communion of the bread and the wine that we have with our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know, remember going to the spiritual, that the Lord, our Lord Jesus, is our Goel. He's our Redeemer. He's our man of strength. He calls us to fellowship with him. We're in his field. It's his provision. It's his grace. Because the Moabitess, remember from last week, has no possible way of fellowship. She can't go into the temple. She can't go and serve. And she can't be a part of the family. She's probably not going to be married off to anybody. No self-respecting Jewish young boy is going to go out and marry a Moabitess woman and start a family. In fact, the word of God tells the nation of Israel not to do that, to not do that. And yet, we're going to see biblical reasons why in the book of Ruth this is going to be different. The Lord doesn't need us, but he goes out of his way to get us. Even though that we are sinners, we are saved by grace. He goes out of his way to make communion for us and to make a way to do that. Now, I want to remember here, I want us to remember here, that in this culture, this is, this is a faux pas. That is not allowed. But that is also not really true. That statement's not really true. Religiously speaking, that shouldn't happen. But remember the historical time frame of this book. This is the time of the judges, where every man does what is right in his own eye. Remember, there are families that are worshiping false gods, and then they're also going to the tabernacle. They're quoting the Old Testament scriptures on one sense, and then they're compromising with the world on the other. They're not keeping the Sabbath day. They're not keeping the law in general. They're marrying uh, women from other cultures. They're just not obedient to the word of God. What am I getting at here? Nothing is new under the sun, the Bible says. That's the culture that we are serving in right now. The Lord has appointed us here in the 21st century, here in South Carolina, and it's being impressed on you at any given time, if you're single, that you need to get a hookup that you need to go find somebody, that you need to go find multiple people. In fact, our culture is telling some of us married people that we need to go out there and reap our wild, sow our wild oats, they say, or other crazy things. So it's, it's an anti-biblical culture that we are serving in. So how do you have biblical standards when you are trying to search for a wife, for a spouse, for a husband, when you're being impressed upon in this time? Well, we have to remember, first and foremost, that we stand in opposition to the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And so we are contrary to anything that is not biblical. But that's a decision you have to make. No one in this church is going to come to you and be like, well, you can't come. You you went on a date with a non-believer. You're not welcome anymore. Oh, yeah, no, no. Presbyterian, that's not even real Christian. That's a joke, y'all. That's a joke. And if you're a Presbyterian or were a Presbyterian, I'm just a Christian. I'm not at anything. I don't want to talk to you after the service, okay? Just stop. <laughs> but we set these arbitrary rules and we set these arbitrary religious systems. No, is this honoring to God? That's what the Bible tells us. If you're out there right now, you're a widow or you're a young person, you're trying to find a spouse, you want to have a biblical family, and you're still trying to navigate this world, This Bible doesn't change. It speaks directly to us today. 
And in Romans 13, it says, let us, not, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. First thing I want to tell you, Christian, is that what the world says is immaturity is actually maturity. What the world says is immaturity is actual maturity. The world is telling you that if you can't do whatever you want and follow your lusts and follow your passions, then you're somehow childlike, that you're somehow not as mature as they are. The Bible tells us it's the exact opposite. So you can trust the world or you can trust the word of God. That's a choice that you get to make. Are you being driven by your lust? The Bible tells us that you're a slave to those lusts if you're given over to it. The Bible tells us that marriage is honorable above all. And to serve God and to please Him by free will, you should be seeking to be married. And any, this is the biblical definition, God's law, God's word, not my word, any sexual encounters outside of marriage are sinful. And they are hurting you. They are not helping you. Now, the world is telling us the exact opposite, right? The world's telling us that if you're not doing those things, that you're somehow immature, that you're not as strong as they are. Tell me, in any other area of life, is that applicable? We're being told, rightfully so, that we should not eat poison, that we should be careful with our diet. As much as it disappoints me, I am told and I feel the ramifications if I eat an entire uh, tub of Kilwin's ice cream. If I eat the whole thing, as delicious as it is, best ice cream on the planet, that's what I was waiting for, (laughs) it will make you sick. It will hurt you. In what other area of life can you have excess like that? If in your mind, the Bible tells us to keep our eye pure to meditate on whatever things are good, whatever things are true, whatever things are lovely in Philippians 3. But if I go and I watch 100 hours of horror movies of the most debaucherous time, what am I going to be thinking of? What's going to be in my mind? How is that going to help me? Look at any area of life and tell me what excess without, dis- excess without discipline, how that helps you in any way. But somehow the culture has gotten it into our minds that sexual immorality is different. Now, how are they doing it here in the book of Ruth? Notice that they're in the company of others. I highly recommend, all things are lawful for you, but I will not come under the power of any, Paul says. That regardless of your age, whether you are 80 or 18, if you are dating, to date and you're not married, go with other people. Go with other people. If you don't want to use the word chaperone because you think it sounds like a child, that's fine, but you're being immature, not mature. You're being childish, that you don't understand how, like it says in Romans, make no provision for the flesh. It is a biblical point to each and every one of us that left to ourselves, we will fail. When I'm counseling young men, I say, listen, if you're capable of being with this woman in private and you're both interested with each other and you're able to restrain yourself, this person is not for you. I, I take it the exact opposite. If you're able to go in the dark of night and be alone with a young lady and restrain yourself who is interested in you as well, 
and you and you don't have to be in public, you're in the that woman is not for you. Same thing for you, gals. Same thing for you. This is a man of strength. That's Boaz's name, man of strength. And now he's interested in this gal. What has he been doing? He's been watching her manner. How does she work? She's working her tail off. He knows that she has made a commitment to God. I will follow you, Naomi. Wherever you go, I will go. Whatever happens to you, that will happen to me. She's loyal. And now, as he spends time, more time with her, he wants her closer to him, but he's doing it in the company of the other young men. Did you see that in verse 14? In the company of the other men, which breaks some of the rules. It breaks some of the cultural rules. Don't let the culture dictate your relationships. Because extrapolate that to the future. Is the culture going to dictate to you what your marriage is going to be like, how to raise your children? Is the culture going to dictate to us how the church is run? Is the culture going to dictate to us what portions of the Bible we're going to apply to our lives and what not? Absolutely not. So why are you letting them do that with your sexual purity and your relationships and how you date? If you can't make commitments for God now, how are you going to be able to do that in your relationship in the future? So stop it. Remember, there is a point to getting in relationships as a single person. As, now, if you are married here and you have kids and you're trying to encourage your kids, we need to have conversations with them. They need to go and have um, conversations with people of the opposite sex, right? They ha- if they're going to get into a relationship, as much as I wish for my daughters, we were in a Middle Eastern, my daughter is plural, my daughter As much as I wish for my daughter, I could just choose her husband for her like we're in the Middle East. That is not the culture in which we live. And that is where they were in the book of Judges at that time. And so we need to be encouraging them to have biblical relationships. And we need to discuss these roles. And in a perfect world, which we're not in, just letting you know, we should be able to discuss this with them and come up with rules together, obligations together. Because if you just lay down the law, quote-unquote, and tell them this is the way it's going to be, what are they going to do? The second they leave your house, what are they going to do? You know, because you did it. I know I did. I didn't even have any rules in my house. I was breaking the imaginary rules. No, there's a point to this. As a family unit, with brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be pushing, encouraging, sowing, marriage. The purpose is to be married. Uh, This is my personal opinion, and that means you can take it or leave it. But I personally believe that long engagements are either A, they're lying to us, or we're lying to them, one or the other. Because, again, same principle as being alone. If they're able to have a long engagement without, and they're somehow able to resist that temptation, they probably shouldn't be married to begin with. But what are we saying here? Rome, Hebrews 13 will tell us, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. This is important. This is a New Testament principle. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. We should be raising up marriage. Marriage should be exalted. Everything should be pointing towards marriage. Now, does that mean that the first person that you start dating with, you need to start talking about marriage? No, come on, that's silly. No, but in the back of our mind, there's a direction. Where are you going? 
Where are you going with this? What is the purpose of this? Where is it happening? I can guarantee you now, Boaz is looking for a wife. We don't know why. We don't know if he's a widower. We don't know if he has had um, a spouse before. We don't know if he's been single. We don't know his background. We don't know anything about him. We do know that Ruth is a widower. It would seem, it would seem inferred from the scripture that he probably did have a wife before. Because you get married at a very young age, especially if you're successful, you have your own field. And some Bible scholars say that this Boaz, this, this man of strength, can also be translated as a mighty man of valor. But he's probably a veteran. He's probably a fighter. We don't know that. That's inferring a little too much there to say that with a fact. But it seems interesting. It seems interesting. Here they are, having supper together, having a break And this conversation has a purpose. It's going somewhere. Now, why is marriage honorable above all? Why do we as a church and as families need to fight for marriage? Because marriage is an example that Christ uses for himself and the church of God. That we are the bride of Christ, the Bible tells us. That he is our husband and we are his bride. And we are to be undefiled. And that we are going to have a marriage supper with him. This is a very important biblical symbol. And we must remember that marriage is not ordained by government. It was not created by government. God created marriage and the family. And God created the government. And so when the government decides to leave biblical values and biblical truths, they are the ones in error, not us. We need to stand up for marriage between one man and one woman and all that it stands for because it is a symbol of Christ. I tell you now that the corruption of the definition of marriage is Satan trying to corrupt the definition of Christ and his bride, the church of God. Am I against human beings that have same-sex marriages? Am I against people that that have gender dysphoria? No, absolutely not. Christ died for them. He died for us. We're all sinners. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not my business to go to my hypothetical next-door neighbor that's in a, quote, in a same-sex union. And if they want to call it marriage, that's up to them. But I, if they ask me, I'm going to say what the Bible says. And I'm going to be the very best neighbor that they've ever had. I'm going to share with them. I'm not going to compromise with truth, but I'm going to guard their home. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to look out for them. If they're gone for a trip, I'm going to put their papers. Remember when we used to have papers? I'm going to put their paper on the porch. I'm going to put their trash cans away. I'm going to be a great neighbor. They will, they will praise whatever God they have that I am there, hoping to, to preach the gospel. Now, I went down a rabbit hole, but all those things are so important for us in this culture because we define in our homes and you, if you're a single person today and you're going to start a new home, a new family, it is so important that somebody sits you down and has this conversation with you because the world is trying to impose its will on you every single day, every song, every advertisement, every political party, they're trying to get you to compromise with this truth that has existed for 10,000 years since the creation of mankind from Adam being God breathing into the dirt and putting Adam and Eve together. This has been the truth of all humanity. And somehow today, the media has it in our minds that it's, it's suddenly different. 
we finally figured it out. No, no. So how's this conversation going to continue now as they've been eating? Well, it's time to go back to work, I think, verses 15 through 16. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So remember that word gleaning. We defined it last week. It's not an English word that we use. So if English is your second language, don't just throw it out. You're never going to hear this word ever again. But to glean means to pick one at a time from the dirt. So she leaves this lunch, which she took some of the food and she put it aside. That's going to come up later. And now she's on her hands and knees again, following the guys, gleaning, picking out seeds of wheat out of the ground and putting it in her back to go home. Boaz is still watching her. This is fascinating to me. I feel like there's a little of independence there. Like if, if Boaz really likes her, he can just take her. She's a Moabitess. Who cares? This is the time of the judges. Who cares? The culture wouldn't mind. Oh, yeah, he's a rich, powerful, strong stud. He could just take that gal and just take her and then just do what he wants and then go on to the next gal. Well, he shows her honor and respect, but also independence. He doesn't just give her a bunch of wheat and say, go about your way. Come meet with me next week. No, he allows her to go back to work. But then what does he do? He tells the guys, hey, guys, listen, I want you to start dropping extra sheaves around her, okay? Make sure she stays near you. Make sure even if she comes up close to you guys and is starting to pick like it falling out of the air before it even gets in the dirt, go ahead and litter. If the guys are getting paid a percentage, like what if they're getting paid by the box or by the bushel? Like, Lord, but that's our money, man. I, I don't even want to drop any. I want to keep as much in our harvest as possible. Plus, it's costing you money. Boaz is like, I don't care. I don't care. There's an important principle here, spiritual principle, because what does the law say? The law said in Leviticus 19, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape from your, of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. What am I pointing out here? Everything that he just said is extra now. He's going over and above. New Testament, New Testament believer, you and I, we, we don't follow the law. We go over and above because of grace. We don't keep the minimum standard. We don't go back to, okay, it says here, that for me to have a spouse, all right, he, Romans chapter 5, okay, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. Yeah, it says you need to be obedient to me. You've got to just submit, you know that. That's what it says here. That's not a good dating conversation. But So what is it motivated by? If it's, not, if it's not based on the minimum standard of the Bible, it's based on love. Passion, love, loyalty. You know, the same way that the Lord has for us. The Lord gives us exceedingly more than we can ask or think. He loves us the same way. He doesn't say, all right, all right, I guess I have to love you guys because I am a God of truth and mercy, so you don't have to go to hell. You know what? I'll just let you all vanish. No, he says, not only am I going to save you from your eternal damnation, which you fully deserve, I'm going to allow you into paradise. Oh, but wait, there's more. 
I'm also going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm also going to use you as a messenger to the world. I'm also going to allow you to live by faith. And then I'm going to allow you to receive rewards. And then when you come in, I'm going to give you crowns for your service. Why is he doing all that? Why is he doing that? Man, because he loves us in a deeper sense that we even can define. Not a passionate Hollywood love. Not a mandatory uh, law of loyalty. No, it is a deeper, in the Greek called agape, self-sacrificing without any other purpose, love of God. Speaking of Romans 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Poured out like extra you know, like when your five-year-old's pouring the, pouring the milk, and it just keeps on pouring? You're like, wait, wait, that's enough. And it's like milk everywhere, pouring out. He's poured out his Holy Spirit to us. The same way that the reapers are pouring out the wheat. They're giving the extra. But there's another biblical principle there. We've got to put some work in. We've got to do something. Yes, the Lord is making provision for us, but he wants us to be a part of the process you got to get up and glean from the Word of God. you got to open your Bible up, and you got to start reading and applying it to your life. He's, he's left the sheaves there. He's telling the Holy Spirit, hey, leave extras there for them to pick up. But we got to get on our hands and knees humbly before the Lord and pray and, and read the Word and fellowship together. And He's watching our manner of life, our manner of life. We're in a relationship with Him. As he pours this out. Now, let's continue in verses 17 through 18. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back, that was from the lunch, after she had been satisfied. So... Let's start with, what is an Old Testament biblical work day? If you want to work, like the Old Testament says you should, you work from sunup to sundown six days a week. So if you're working a 40-hour work week, that's part-time. That's part-time. We're talking 60 to 70 hours a week. It's about average, usually probably pushing, especially in harvest time, around 80 hours a week is the work week. You get one day, a Sabbath day, where there's no working of any kind. You don't, don't get to make your food. You don't get to do any of that. You're going to sit and rest, and it's going to be a day of the Lord. That is the Old Testament work week. Now, we are New Testament believers. The Bible says one man exalts one day above another. One man exalts every day the same. Let each reason within his own mind. I know I said that pretty fast. But it pretty much means that every day is holy. Every day has been sanctified. And we are free. Because he who the sun set free is free indeed. You don't have, if, you're, if you're retired here, enjoy it. If you're working 80 hours a week and you're like, oh my gosh, just realize that whole civilizations are right there with you. And so am I. But then you live in America. Don't whine about it. You choose where you want to work here. And we are in the most blessed nation on the planet. I mean... You can go work at Burger King now, and they're giving you like $20 an hour now. And the, the standard is really low. I mean, we're so blessed. 
I'm not knocking the, a few people there that are working their tails off. They're the ones that are keeping the place going. I'm knocking the not-so-good workers that are, don't even show up. But Ruth, the widow, has worked from sunup to sundown all day long on her hands and knees. And what has she collected here about an EFAF? Depending on your definition, between four to five and a half gallons, gallon tubs of barley. So imagine a uh, a five-gallon bucket full, every seed picked up and plucked in there one by one. So she shows back up to the house. Imagine working from sunup to sundown, and then you've got to walk home with a five-gallon bucket of wheat. And she shows up, and there's Naomi, and then it says she pulled out the extras from her lunch. That's how much she cares about her family. Now, if if you're a guy and you're looking for a spouse, and you see a lady like this that's willing to work from sunup to sundown and then still be thinking about the family and still taking care of it, that is a keeper. That is a keeper right there. You just don't even wait. Just take it immediately. But you can see her manner of life. Now, now, we're going to get into some nitty-gritty. Now we're going to have a family conversation. We didn't get to spend too much time on it last week. Now, I also want us to point out financially, how long is this five-gallon bucket going to last? Like, they can own, the only way that they can have a means of provision is to glean from the harvest. That means barley harvest, wheat harvest. That's all they get. Maybe they can get at the vineyard harvest. So they can kind of go from harvest to harvest and then hope they can glean and hope that they can get scraps. That's how they're going to live off of right now. That's why Naomi, when she came back, she called herself what? Mara, forsaken one. She said, because God has forsaken her. And remember, the Bible's like, no, her name is Ruth. God has not forsaken her. How do we know that? Well, verse 19, there's some questions. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I worked today, is Boaz. I, I hinted at it last week. She's like, Naomi's like, no, 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 no. Where did you get this? What did you do? Now, what is she thinking? We don't know. I know I can inflect. I know I can inflect. Young, attractive girl like you goes out, and you got a five-gallon bucket of wheat. That, you didn't get that from gleaning. Where did you get that? Where did that come from? What did you do? But Ruth is saying, no, I I went to the field. This man named Boaz, he took care of me, and this is what happened. This is how my day went. This is what's going on. Where are we gleaning? If you're going to glean from the world, if you're going to glean from this culture, and you're going to try and get your sustenance, you're going to try and get your mental well-being, you're going to try and get your morals and your morality from this world, you are always going to have an empty bucket. But if you go to the Lord, He is gracious and merciful and loving, passionate. He cares for us. Your mental health, your family health, even your physical health can be addressed. Now, we talked about this in Wednesday night. How that's not always 
the case. You know, we live in a fallen world. Bad things happen to us. But generally speaking, there are spiritual principles and practical principles for life that are found in the Bible that will lead to prosperity. However, however, I don't want us to forget Ruth chapter 1. She lost her husband. Naomi lost her husband. Ruth lost her husband. You know, bad and tragic things happen in this world, but our true and loving God will lead us through those things. And sometimes things will not work out. No, this is not a prosperity gospel, but we have a God that gives prosperity. That doesn't mean that we get good things because we so-and-so deserve them. We deserve damnation. That's what the Bible says. We deserve to be destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. But in his mercy and his grace, he has granted us so many blessings. And if you don't think you're blessed here, if you are in this room right now receiving the gospel in a government that is maybe um, attacking our tweets, but he's not, they're not in here yet, trying to stop us, and we have air conditioning, and we have the Bible in every single translation. Wait till Wednesday night. We'll tell you what it is to have lack. We are all incredibly blessed. It's just our standard. Let's get back to the family, though. Let's get back to what's going on here. Naomi is questioning Ruth. If your relationship is above questioning, you're in, you're in trouble. You're not in a good spot. But we, re- we don't like to be questioned, right, because we think that we're being, um, that we're immature. You're treating us as, quote, unquote, children. That's from the world. No, maturity, a mature person can receive those questions. What you do with those questions is completely up to you. I, uh, I like to joke around. If you've had a teenager around you at any given time and they start acting like a child about how they're really an adult, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, I'm almost 17. And then they go off whining about all the things that they deserve. Doesn't a real adult act that way? No, a real adult doesn't act that way. And so they're, they're disproving the very comment that they make. Well, regardless of your age, again, 18 or 80, if you are above questioning, you are acting with immaturity, not maturity. Immaturity. Because as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be accountable to one another. That doesn't mean that another person, unless you are under somebody else's roof, has authority over you and can dictate to you. Naomi is instantly questioning Ruth, instantly, what is going on here. Ruth could kick back, don't you know I've already been married? Don't you know I'm following you? You should just be blessed I'm here. You, you, none of my business, none of your business what I do. Just be grateful that I provided this for you. That's the American thought mentality, right? No, no. She just explains herself. Yeah, I met this guy. His name is Boaz. Now, the flip side is this for the questioner. Are you even interested in the answer? Are you even interested in a real discussion about the relationship, or do you just want to cast judgment? Because we can get into this religious, pharisaical, well, nobody's good enough for you. This isn't the movies. All relationships are based on compromise. Look at each other. None of the ladies that are in this place deserve the jerks that they got next to them now. It's based on compromise and grace. Are you interested in having a real conversation in a real world based on the Bible? We should be able to ask one another, regardless, where are you gleaning? 
Where have you been gleaning? And so finally, before we continue, it is not wise to glean at a bar. Now, I've realized that there are many Christian marriages in here that you met in a bar. That's called grace. <laughs> that is called grace, unmerited favor. Again, we, we live in a real world with the real Bible, right? We got a real word from a real God for real problems. And it's not smart to be basing and gleaning your relationship values from the world. Go to the right field, to the Word of God. I mean, where are you getting your relationship advice from? The person that's been divorced 17 times? From the person that is gallivanting across the planet? From, from movie stars? From Hollywood? That's not real life. That's not real life. That doesn't exist. Where the, the world that they are living in is not real. The Bible gives us a principle as Christians in Galatians 5, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, lu- the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Why is Ruth being questioned? Because she's a woman. Why does Boaz have to have that relationship, the, the supper together with a group of people? All of us have sinned. All of us have a fleshly desire. If you don't have that fleshly desire, you've got a problem. If you're not passionate, you've got a problem. So that means the scripture is 100% accurate, as always. You are always going to struggle with this. I want to put out one more word. If you're not loyal to your future spouse, how are you going to be loyal to your present spouse? If you're not loyal to your future spouse, how are you going to be loyal to your present spouse? If you go to the men's group or you go to the women's group and you ask some of those really serious nitty-gritty questions, you will realize it doesn't matter your age you will still struggle with the flesh. It's never going to disappear. Sometimes in the Christian world, we think that the young men, once you get married and you get a little older, those desires are going to go away. Nothing could be further from the truth. (laughs) Nothing could be further from the truth. And if we're not addressing that in our marriages, in our relationships, when we're uh, training up our young men or um, edifying our older men, then we're not dealing with reality. So the Bible gives us clear principles on how to address this. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You need to be accountable. Realize to make no provision for the flesh. Don't give it an opportunity. Your flesh will betray you every time, every time. If there's one thing that's consistent about us, left to our own devices, we will pick sin over righteousness every time. Praise the Lord for his grace and his unmerited favor. We're talking about reaping and sowing here in the book of Ruth. Well, the same exact principle is true for us as believers in Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For if he he sows to his flesh, he will of the flesh reap corruption. But if he sows to the Spirit, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Be patient. I have been a farmer. I have done farming and ranching. 
the thing that amazes me the most is how long it takes for things to grow. It is annoying. And it takes so much effort to keep it all together. You've got to water it. It's got to have the right amount of sun. You've got to protect it from weeds. You've got to protect it from birds that want to come eat your crop. You've got to protect it from animals that want to come in the middle of the night. There's a reason why we slay deer every year. They're like giant rats is what they are. They just come and they eat everything. And you've got to protect it. But what's our goal? We don't want to grow corn. Well, maybe we do in today's economy. But we want to grow families that seek after Christ. We want to grow righteousness. We want to have a peace of mind. We want to have a good, healthy relationship with God. If you want those things, you need to sow in the, do- in the dirt. You've got to protect your harvest. You've got to protect it. You've got to water it. You've got to be diligent. And it takes a long time. It's amazing to me that I'm scrolling on my cell phone reading the news, just reading the news, and an app comes up, and it says, instant hookup. I'm like, what in the world? Of course, it's the time my wife looks over my phone, too. <laughs> so, what is that? It's, I don't know. It's just ad. But that's the culture in which we live. Sin is so present. It is so, the world is bringing it right to you. It is hand-serving it right under your eyeballs, right between your nose, right in your hand, And it's saying compromise, compromise, compromise. That's immaturity. The crazy thing about that advertisement is I have all the security blocks in the world on my phone. And yet they still sneak it in there. Now, I praise God, even if I clicked on it, it comes up as blocked. So it's all right. Relax, relax. Oh, but Mike, that's immaturity. Absolutely not. It's the opposite. I tell my coworkers, oh, yeah, no, I can't look at that on my phone. It's blocked. And they look at me like I have four horns coming out of my head. I pity them, not the other way around. I pity them. Same thing should be true for us. Now, real time, real talk, verse 20. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Now, I realize, culturally speaking, that if you're having this conversation, you're probably not going to be praising God that somebody's dating a cousin in our culture. But this is very important at that time. The Goel, the Redeemer. He's related to Elimelech, Naomi's husband who passed away. And he is the Goel, that Redeemer. He can take them out of poverty. They can restore the family and the family legacy that has been destroyed. And it's so beautiful here because what does Naomi say? Blessed be he of the Lord, God has blessed us. What did she call herself just a couple of pages before? Mara, God's forsaken us. God has not forsaken you. Let me encourage you. If you're like just completely convicted or twisted up or hurt by this message, God has not forsaken you. God has not forsaken you. He loves you. He's passionate for you. Remember Romans 5.5. 5, he's poured out all these things for you, his love. Now, finally, in verses 21 through 23, Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, emphasis, and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest. 
and the wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. And there's a couple more things I want to point out. Number one, it's emphasized in the scripture here. She's a Moabitess, Ruth the Moabitess. This is important. It's important. But we have a Redeemer that loves us, and I love how much Naomi cares for Ruth. Naomi's interested, like, yeah, he said that I could be around the young man. I'm sure I can find a husband there. Naomi says, nope, nope, stay close to Boaz. No, you stay with the young maidens. You stay with the other women. Now, we don't know. It is so dangerous. As a pastor, I could take a couple different avenues and say, well, this is what they meant or this is what they were thinking. We really don't. We really don't. What are a couple different options? Naomi could be saying to Ruth, that's how they do it in Moab. That's not how we do it here. Here, the women stay with the women and the men stay with the men. Maybe. Maybe she's saying, no, you're not going to find a young man to get married to. We're going to wait for God. We're going to wait for his perfect plan. Boaz is a redeemer. He's a kinsman. You need to stick to him. Maybe she's inferring something else. We really don't know. But these conversations should be happening in our families or with your friends. If you're coming from a non-Christian home, find Christian brothers and sisters. We should be having these discussions. As for me personally, you may find that when I am in the presence of ladies, I don't make much eye contact with other ladies that are not my wife. So if you ever see me being shape-shifty with that, understand that. Have mercy on me. Have grace. Now, some people may say, like, well, that's just backwards. You're just a religious fundamentalist. Guilty. Guilty. (laughs) But listen, I can't make any provision for the flesh. I can't even allow my thoughts to wander because I will fall. And so I have to have stricter rules for myself. I typically will never allow, typically never. That's a kind of contradictory. You have an absolute statement with a non-absolute statement. <laughs> I try at all times to not be alone with another woman that is not my wife. Unless, like if it's here at the church, we have cameras everywhere. My office has cameras. Everything's recorded. So I, I have a double check. At work in the office, if I have uh, to talk to another lady, I try and have another lady in. I'm not, I try not to be religious about it, but I can make no provision for the flesh. I also don't want any accusations of any kind. I don't want people to even just have a rumor. Oh, you know, somebody had a meeting with somebody and such and such. Because we can make no provision for the flesh. No provision for my flesh, no provision for your flesh to gossip. Why? Is that immaturity? To me, that is spiritual maturity, not the other way around. And then finally, finally, wait, wait, stay close to the women. Let's see what God does. My encouragement to you, if you are single today, yes, be looking for a spouse. Marriage is honorable above all. Keep a biblical standard. Any relations outside of marriage are sinful and an abomination to God. Now, who can keep God's righteous standard? No one. Because Jesus said, if you even look at a person in your heart, in your mind, to lust after them, you've committed adultery. Even if you're not married, you've committed adultery with your future spouse. So I realize that at the same time we have grace, God's mercy, we should be striving out of love for God to keep his standard. To keep his standard. Now, in closing, I know I'm going a little bit long. Have you ever been to a wedding where the spouse, the, the bride and groom, have kept, spirit, kept pure, as far as everyone knows, have kept pure. It is special. It is unique. 
I went to a wedding one time of my, one of my personal friends. His first kiss was at his wedding ceremony. How do you think that was? It was special. Now, we've all been to weddings of compromise. My wedding was a wedding of compromise. Let's be real. I praise God for his grace, his unmerited favor in my life. All of us, I pray that you will be gleaning in the field of God's word and you'll be seeking his righteous standard and you will be encouraging and equipping the people in your life to do the same. And that for you, if you're that young person, allow the conversation to take place. We are free and he who the son sets free is free indeed. We can make any choice that we want. But for your sake, for your sake, stick to the Lord. What he has is better. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for your grace. And I pray that you would continue to speak to us and speak truth. And I pray that we would be a light in the world and the world would not be imposing itself on us, Lord. That we would be in the world but not of it. And that you would give us the strength. You know that we're fallen. You know that we're compromising. You know that we are weak, Lord, but our spirit is willing. The spirit you've emplaced on us. We pray that you would magnify your spirit in our lives and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.